ministry and what you do. So thanks. Thanks, Natasha. And thanks for having me here. I always say thanks for having me here, but none of you actually chose that. Alex just subjected you to me. So hopefully it goes all right. If not, you'll get Alex back soon. Um, Like Natasha said, I got to be part of the CCLN incubator with Alex. He's become a good friend of mine. Um, I'm also like longtime friends with Sarah, who is often up here playing and singing. Um, But interestingly, I'm feeling a little insecure in our relationships here, because interestingly, the Sunday I come to speak, they're both uh, mysteriously not here. So I don't know. They've maybe heard me speak before, and they're like, we're friends, but we don't want to sit through another one of your things, right? So um, such an honor to get to be here. Boy, you guys have, um, I could say so many good things about Alex. You guys have a good pastor, and uh, what a gift uh, to have that in this day and age, to have a young guy who loves Jesus so much and is so faithful to his community um, as part of your church, and I'm so glad that he's getting a Sunday off because Working in churches is a, it's a heavy, it's like a, it, oh, it consumes your life, and so glad he's getting a break. I hope you guys will continue to encourage him. So I'm certain most of you know that you guys are in the middle of a, or toward the end, I think, of a Fruit of the Spirit series. If not, there are these big banners and a screen just to remind you. Those are good because sometimes we all, do, we all kind of like days doze off, kind of like lose focus during messages, right? And then you kind of snap back and you can see the banners. Like, yeah, 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 fruit of the Spirit. That's what we're talking about. So I'll give you a pass if you do that. But fruit of the Spirit, and we're going through this list that you can find in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And I'll read it really quickly. Um, I'm sure you guys have read it many times over the past month and a half. And in Galatians 5, 22, Paul writes this. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, Many of us know this as patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And Alex has invited me to speak on this um, this fruit called faithfulness. And um, specifically, I think he invited me to um, speak on that because of some of the conversations he and I have been having. Uh, just to be like really open and transparent, the past year of my wife's and my life has been, um, or our family's life has been kind of the most challenging season we've gone through um, as adults. Um, We experienced some pretty hard times with the church that we used to work at and some what I would call like mistreatment, unfairness. And those types of seasons are sometimes seasons that you might want to lament, but in a sense, there's also this this way in which we are perceiving that as one of the biggest opportunities we've had um, in our adult lives to see if we practice what we preach when we're off stage just as much as when we're on stage, or if we practice what we say when we're going through adversity and when we're going through t- tough times, if we really walk the walk and not just talk the talk, even when things aren't going our way. It's interesting when you think about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, or forbearance, kind of, all these things, none of us really like give people accolades for that, the expressions of those in their lives when it's really easy to do that. You know, like at someone's birthday party where things are good, and for those of you who are my age, remember those things that you used to get 25 years ago when people cared that your birthday was coming up and you get presents and stuff. And when people are like pouring love on you and all that, no one's like, oh my goodness, like they're so loving, you know, because it's easy in that environment. Like, of course you're loving, of course you're happy. People are giving you presents, people are being nice to you. When, when things are calm, when there's no conflict, people aren't like, oh my goodness, like that person is so good at like exuding and bringing peace. It's just, it's the natural response when things are calm, when things are good, like when you've just like come across like good fortune or good news, people aren't like, oh my goodness, I can't believe how joyous that person is. No, 
It's when people are mean to you and people are harsh to you and people are unfair to you that we sometimes notice, man, that person has a really rich gift of love. Or, oh my goodness, that person, they have, their kids are going crazy or those people are being unfair or it's taking a long time or they're going through some adversity in life. What a great gift of patience they have in their lives. Or in the midst of great conflict, we see people, we say, man, that person exudes peace in a way that I wish I had in my life. And I think all of this kind of relates to this, uh, this fruit, faithfulness. It's easy to do good things sometimes, right? Like when you're, before you're married and you're dating, it's like, dating's kind of like marketing, you know? You're like putting all the good stuff on display, hiding the bad stuff, the fine print and all that. Once you say, I do, it's like, okay, now here's what you really need to know about me. But like, you know, when you're dating someone, doing something good or doing something really nice or noble or generous like, it's cool. That's kind of like, well, big deal, right? Like, you are trying to marry this person. You're trying to get them to not break up with you. You're trying to do that thing. When, when we're recognized for our good deeds, that's easy to do. Jesus talks about this at the start of Matthew 6. Maybe you've read it in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, where he says that there's a way that people, like, give to the needy where they do it so they can be seen by other people. Or there's a way that people pray and practice their righteousness in front of people to be seen and to be recognized by people. And then he goes on, he says, people even fast like this. People like fast and they make sure people know that they're fasting. And Jesus says, do it in secret so that your Father in heaven will reward you. I think true faithfulness doesn't show up when we're doing the big things publicly. People can see us. There's a lot of virtue signaling that we do. We like to post about our good things on social media, and we like to have the world know, we like to get those rewards now. And Jesus says, when you receive your reward on earth for doing good things, for acting like your heavenly father, he says, you've received your reward in full. Be patient. Be willing to do it secretly. And I think that's what faithfulness is really wrapped up in, is is being willing to live it out when the eyes are off of you. Being willing on a Friday night after a long week you're tired out, no one's looking, your time is all to yourself to say, am I actually going to practice the fruit of the Spirit now? When things are unfair, when things are hard, when things are tough, to say, it's really challenging right now, and I'm not being treated with joy and love and kindness and patience and gentleness, but am I willing to return that to the world that isn't giving that to me now? Certainly that's how Jesus lived. It's fascinating how we expect God to be so faithful in our lives, to always listen to our prayers, no matter what we're doing, to, to respond and to provide for us. Yet, so often, we find ourselves just giving God little snippets. Maybe it's Sunday mornings or when we're at small group or community group or life group or whatever. I don't know what Cascades calls them. There are a thousand different names. But you know those things that you do where you eat snacks and talk about Jesus uh, and then eat more snacks because that's the most important part. But, you know, it's easy in those moments. Is it the moments at work? where people might look down on you, where you might not get respect, where you might not get the accolades. And I think that's what faithfulness is wrapped up in. I'm going to take us to a passage in Ephesians, and we're going to work through that this morning. Um, But first, I just want to note one contrast. You'll notice that before the fruit of the Spirit, this list that Paul writes, um, he, he writes this list called the acts of the flesh. And he goes through all these things like, you know, drunkenness, and he goes through this big list. But two things to note. At the end of the fruit of the Spirit, he just ends it with a period. Well, I don't know what it looked like then, but there, it ends. And at, it, it, with the acts of the flesh, he ends it with, and the like. So, you know, uh, translation, etc. 
stuff like this. There's a massive list. He can't encapsulate it all. But in these nine words, he really captures what the fruit of the Spirit is. And then one other really significant difference. Before the acts of the flesh, it says the acts of the flesh are, so like a plural word, are, and then this list of things. These are all acts of the flesh. When it's the fruit of the Spirit, it's not the fruit of the Spirit are, the fruit of the Spirit is. When I first kind of noticed that in the Bible, I was like, Paul, you need a grammar lesson, bro, because like you're about to make a list of nine things, and is is a singular term, and are is plural. I love, I'm a copy editor on the side, by the way. So, but what he's saying is, is that there is one way, as he goes on to live by the Spirit and to walk in step with the Spirit, and it, and it includes all nine of these attributes. How many of us sometimes say, well, I've been very peaceful, so I don't have to be that kind, or I've been loving, so I don't have to be that patient. I, you know, we look at the good things we've done to excuse the bad things that we've done, and Paul in Galatians 5 would say, listen, if you want to walk in step with the Spirit, there is one way. There's a singular method, a single, singular path, a singular model, and it encaptures all of these. But if you want to walk in the ways of flesh, there are a billion options. There are so many ways that you can live by the flesh. I want to look at a passage in Ephesians 5. Um, if you've got, uh, you know, the Bible app. Um, if you don't know, they've actually turned the Bible app into like a print version book now too. So if you have one of these, you can feel free to open it up to Ephesians 5.15. And if not, I think it'll be on the karaoke machine in a moment as well. But lots of ways for you to read it. Paul in Ephesians, what he's done is he's, uh, he's opened the book with his prayer, like just praising God for who he is. And he goes through the works of like the good news of Jesus, what Jesus has done to come regenerate, restore, renew, and save and reconcile us to himself. And he goes through a few different things, but then he has this long section. And your Bible might have a subheading that Paul didn't have in there, but it says, you know, Christian living, instructions on Christian living. Basically, all these things that like, here's how you live, here's how you live, avoid sexual immorality, avoid this, do this, do this. this. These are things that embody the way of Jesus. And he wraps it up, Ephesians five fifteen to 20. And th- these are the words that starts with, Paul says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Be very careful then how you live. Be extraordinarily careful. Another way to say that would be like, be quite intentional with your life. When we're unintentional with our lives, what happens? We turn into bad parents. We gain weight. We're unproductive. We're unkind. We're unloving. But when we're intentional with our lives, when we set our hearts and minds to things that are actually the things that we believe Jesus desires out of our lives, that's when we start to live as wise rather than as unwise. These words here in, in the Greek language, wise and unwise, wise actually means like, kind of like living like an expert or a professional. Now, that sounds kind of daunting, right? None of us are like, I'm an expert on life. But we're called to be spiritually mature. We're called to be experts in the way of Jesus. We're called to grow. We have this idea a lot of times that we, we can just like kind of pray a prayer and stay as spiritual infants and stay that way for a long time. In fact, in Hebrews 5, the author says, don't be like a spiritual infant that's breastfeeding for the rest of your life. Don't just drink milk for the rest of your life. Enjoy steak. Experience, the, if you're vegan, experience tofu, you know, like whatever. The, the good protein. There are better things in this world that you can grow to. Imagine, imagine you, you're born as a baby and you just start breastfeeding and for the rest of your life, all you do is drink milk. I mean, I would theorize that by 12, you'd be highly lactose intolerant and probably not be healthy. But like, imagine that's it. Your whole life, you're just drinking milk. You over to supper to someone's house, like, do you have any dietary restrictions? It's like, yeah, just milk, please. Just a glass of milk. That's all I want. Don't be unwise. Don't be unprofessional. Don't be 
Don't be an amateur. Don't be a spiritual infant, but be an expert. Be someone who grows into spiritual maturity, who's taking steps toward Jesus. He says, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, Paul wrote this like about 2,000 years ago. And I think every generation would read this and be like, yeah, the days are more evil now than they were then or then or, you know, whatever. The days are always evil. I don't think Paul's writing this as like a, okay, you know, it's like 80, whatever, like it's like you're 60 and now the days are quite evil. They'll never be this evil again. The days are evil because we come into this world with this inclination towards sin and we're struggling with our own sinfulness and then we allow the world around us to inform our theology and our thinking and our mindsets rather than allowing the spirit to do that. We, we turn to the acts of the flesh regularly, which leave us as spiritual infants, which lead us far away from God. And Jesus says, be wise, be wise. Embrace the way of the Spirit. Walk in step with the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I love this idea of making the most of every opportunity. I am like a total like maximizer. I don't know if anybody else here would like resonate with this, but like anytime I like go to do something or whatever, it's like we got to get as much of it in as we can. Um, we got to like experience as much as we can. Um, I, I really especially feel I, I have some pretty strong opinions around buffets. So I've been married to my wife almost 13 years now. When we were first married, we'd go to a buffet and she would like first round, she'd go put a bunch of salad on her plate. I was like, are you kidding me? This is what we're coming to a buffet for? You're putting a, like, a, like a head of lettuce on your plate at a buffet? You're, and then you're like, there's like, there's, you know, sweet and sour pork, there's ginger beef, whatever kind of buffet you're at. Like there's meat, there's all this stuff. And you're wasting it on veggies? Are you kidding me? We got this stuff in the fridge and it's rotting all the time because I'm not eating it. We can go home and get this stuff. Don't waste it. Make the most of every opportunity. And so she actually feels pretty insecure going to a buffet with me now, which probably isn't like a really good sign of me as a husband. But she's just like, if I get like, you know, if I get, like, the wrong items, and it's like, make the most of it, Experience, Like, taste and see that the buffet has protein and leave room for dessert. There's a soft-serve machine, and you're not going to have enough space for the soft-serve because you filled up on lettuce. It's ridiculous. Maybe there's a different area of your life where you're like, I need to get the most out of this. Paul, when he's writing here, says, make the most out of not just when you go to the buffet, not just when you're spending your money, not just when you're planning your vacay, not just when you're doing this thing or that thing, not just when you're having a conversation, but make the most of every opportunity. Life is like this series of like nonstop moments, moment after moment after moment after moment. To say Jesus was sinless was to say that he kind of took hold of every opportunity, of every moment, and he made the most of it. He was faithful in that. Faithfulness is when you're by yourself, when those opportunities are coming and going, it's so easy for us to just waste it. And, and not just on bad things. I think a lot of times we think, okay, well, I'm not like doing this big, bad, evil thing. But it's like we waste it on, myself included, on like mindless scrolling. We waste it on things that are unimportant. We spend so much time. And, and some things aren't even inherently evil, but we become so consumed with it that there's little time for us to maximize the opportunities. If you're like me, your phone storage often gets full. And then you put off 
emptying space off your phone for a long time. You're just like, I gotta take a photo. I've got kids, so I have to take a lot of photos and videos now so I can prove on social media to everyone that they're cuter than their kids. But um, it's like my phone will get full, and I'll go to take a picture, and it's like your storage is full. So I go like delete one photo or offload one app or whatever, and it's just like, okay, there's enough. And I get through, and I get through, and I get through. And then eventually after weeks, I'm like, okay, I gotta like recalibrate. I gotta dump a whole bunch of this onto an external hard drive, and then I gotta like, and then I'll have space again. I think in our day and age, maybe that's one of the big challenges we have is there's so much, there's so much going on. And we're like a 128 gig phone with like 127.9 gigs full. Like we've got this little sliver to like let God in. And maybe that's called Sunday morning. Maybe that's even like the time you pray with your kids before bed or you set aside these little things. And so much of it is just too full that we don't have the bandwidth to be intentional and faithful with every opportunity. What would it look like for us to actually say, I want to take the moments, I want to seize the moments and the opportunities of my life and be faithful with them and make the most of them. To live as a spiritual expert rather than a spiritual beginner, a spiritual amateur. Verse 17, whenever you're reading the Bible, I think a good practice, and if you haven't ever read the Bible, that'd be my biggest takeaway. Give it a shot. It's an amazing book. But whenever you're reading it, a good question is, what's kind of the point in the middle of this? It's a really good question in Ephesians because if you've ever read Paul's letters, he uses some big run-on sentences and lists sometimes. In fact, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, in the original language, is one sentence. Like just, and in our, in the English translation, it's a few sentences. Even then it's long. It's just on and on and on. And it's so much good stuff. At some point, it's a good question. Rather than just say, which verse do I like? What, what verse am I already living out? Which verse lines up with my wills and desires well? But what are the key points, if I were to like kind of lay this out in, in the theological world, we call it exegetically. But if I were to lay this out, what's kind of the crux of this passage? And I actually think verse 17 is it. It starts with therefore. And therefore isn't always this, but it's a good key word when you're reading your Bible. Quick little Bible tip. Whenever you read the word therefore, a good question to ask yourself is, what is the therefore, therefore? What Paul is doing is he's reflecting on everything he said about living in the kingdom of Jesus. He's reflecting on all this idea of being wise rather than unwise, making the most of every opportunity. He says this, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not be foolish. Now, this foolish word is a little bit different than unwise. Rather than being like an amateur beginner, it just means stupid. Am I allowed to say stupid at Cascades? If not, I mean, that's the beauty of being a guest speaker. It's like, how can I get fired, right? Like, I, I don't have another booking here, so it's whatever. But it means, like, you're stupid. You're an idiot. You're mindless. It's like you have removed the brain from outside your head. You've deleted it. And this is what Paul is saying. He said, don't be an idiot, but understand what the Lord's will is. I think this verse is the crux, and we're going to come back to that at the end. He goes on to say, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. So Paul is talking about not getting drunk on wine. He's obviously not saying you can't drink any wine, but he's saying don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Debauchery is a weird word in the Bible that we usually just kind of read past. We're like, yeah, I shouldn't do debauchery, but I don't even know what that is, so hopefully I'm not doing debauchery. It's like how often have you come to church and someone's been like, you know what, friend? I'm sensing debauchery in your life. You have debauched so many times. Stop debauching, please. Debauchery is just like, really, it's just like being consumed by anything other than the spirit of the living God and finding your contentment, fulfillment, and satisfaction in that. That can be something good. Food is good, right? Food's great. But we can become too consumed with that. Our marriage, and even sex within marriage, is great. 
But if that becomes where you find your fulfillment and satisfaction, kids, kids are awesome. If that becomes your identity, your purpose, your set, what you are consumed with, none of us were created with the purpose of getting married and having kids. That's a great thing we can do in life. Our purpose is single, and that's to find our fulfillment and satisfaction and identity in relationship with the living God. And out of that, if we have a marriage, out of that, if we have kids, out of that, if we enjoy good food, out of that, the things that we do can flow and can show and exude the faithfully living out the fruit of the Spirit. But many of us, there are things that are less noble, maybe like money or the next vacation or this luxury or this comfort. We love our comfort. We love being well. We love being taken care of. Many of us turn to like sinful addictions that we choose over and over and over. And what Paul is saying here with this word debauchery is he's just saying, don't be consumed by things of this world as you are finding your identity, purpose, satisfaction, fulfillment in anything other than Jesus. You are missing what it means to walk in step with the Spirit. Matthew 19, you guys have maybe read of this interaction where Jesus is talking to this rich young man. This man comes up and he says, Jesus, what must I do to get life? Essentially what he's saying is, how do I get 50% on this test? This was my question. This is what got me through junior high and high school. It's like, how do I just get 50, like D's get degrees, right? How do I get 50% or higher? How do I just pass the test? And Jesus says, well, here's some things. Like, don't kill people, don't steal. And the guy's like, yeah, don't worry, I'm not doing that. But what am I still missing? How many of us experience that in our spiritual journey? Like, there's got to be something more. Why am I still struggling with my own inability to, like, experience joy? Why am I often struggling with patience? Why am I struggling to live out peace? What, Jesus says to choose peace rather than the anxiety that fills my life and the worry and the fear. Why am I struggling? What am I still missing? That's what he says to Jesus. He says, what am I still missing? And then Jesus, instead of just getting life, 50%, he says, if you want to be perfect, if you want to ace this thing, sell everything. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. This passage has often been used to, like, condemn people for having too much money. Now, I do think there's something to be said about that. But what Jesus is saying, he's saying, your life is built on something other than that. A good way to think about this is to ask yourself, to, to figure out, are we being faithful to the call of Jesus and finding our identity in Jesus? A good way to think about that is, what is it in my life that if I lost it today, if it just disappeared, if it deleted itself, if it turned its back on me, if it hurt me, whatever, if it was just gone, what is it that my life would fall apart? And any of that, I would say, are things that we are debauching. That's not a real word, but being consumed with and being filled with rather than the Spirit. Paul isn't saying, just don't get drunk. He's saying, don't be intoxicated with things other than Jesus. Remember the acts of the flesh? This big, myriad list. But the life in the Spirit is singular. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And here's how it's expressed. Speaking to one another with psalms. That's weird, right? Like how many of you came this morning? Like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you do that, people be like, okay, I'm finding a different church. Um, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. There's this weird translation between like the church 2,000 years ago and the church now where we often think about psalms, songs of the Spirit and all that as like kind of the group singing time on Sunday morning. We call that worship worship's a lot more robust than that. What Paul is saying is saying what should come out of your mouth and what should come out of your expression with one another as followers of Jesus should be expressions of the fact that you're making the most of every opportunity, that everything is spiritual, and in every moment you're a follower of Jesus who is filled with the Spirit, walking in step with the Spirit. So our language should be that of people who are just like, 
it's not like you're not allowed to talk about the Canucks, right? Or perhaps a team that's actually won a Stanley Cup or whatever. But it's, it's not that you're not allowed to like, there's just a little quick jab at Vancouver there, okay? It's not like you're not allowed to talk about that stuff. But does that consume you more than talking about one another with Jesus? What I love is this morning, I experienced something so unique. I go speak at different churches all the time. It is very rare that someone, and my friend Elizabeth did this, comes up and says, hey, before you speak, can I just pray for you? Like a random person I just met. We're very awkward about talking about Jesus. We're very weird about like, hey, I just want to talk about what I've been reading in the Bible. We're, it's very natural to talk about what we're watching, what we're listening to, what's going on in our families, all that stuff, all these things. Again, not inherently evil things, but how w- would, would your community, would those around you, ex- would they express you as someone who is constantly speaking to another one with words of Jesus, accolades of how amazing God is, and the life of the Spirit that you're experiencing? Because that's what faithfulness is. It's not just listening to some person on a stage giving you their spiritual leftovers, but it's actually expressing that time and time again, expressing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control in every moment as we, as we figuratively sing that out to another. If you want to sing it, your friends, you can do that, but I mean, it might be a little strange, but sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, always giving thanks. I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old daughter. I love doing nice things for them. I love giving them gifts. But one of the problems is that they ruin it because whenever I give them something, they, what, what I hope is that they would become more grateful and excited, but they become more entitled and selfish, and they expect the next thing, and they want more, and they want more, and they want more. Oh, man, we live in the richest moment of history in the richest part of the world. It's just like most people from anywhere on the planet who would come here could not afford to live here. And we do it. Yet, we're likely the people that complain the most. You notice that when we get sick, we complain about being sick, but when we're healthy, which is most of the time because we've got the best access to medicine, we, 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 we irregularly spend time saying, I'm so glad I'm healthy. Man, God. Or even when we get sick, I'm glad I'm usually healthy. It's just like we complain about the weather everywhere I go. People complain about the weather all around the planet. It's just like we just think God like doesn't know how to create a world or something. You know, it's just like God. Do you think about the environment when you created it? And he's like, yeah, I, I think about it. It's just like we find so much to be ungrateful for, and this is so powerful. To live a faithful life is more consumed in thanking God regularly than for asking Him. I think that's one of the reasons why when we pray together as followers of Jesus in the modern church, our main language is prayer requests because we're using prayer mostly as the thing to look to what's next. When Jesus in Matthew 6 sets up prayer as something that's primarily about worshiping God and experiencing God and expressing love to him and thankfulness, can we present our requests? Sure, that's in the Bible, but that's not the primary purpose. But when we forget that thankfulness is such an important part of faithfully walking in step with the Spirit, Man, when we're really filled with the Spirit in every moment, in this hardest season of my adult life I've ever been in, it would be so easy for me to just be like, this sucks. I can't believe what happened. Like, this is unfair. This is ridiculous. Why would those people say those lies about me? Why would people be so unkind? Why would people hurt my family like this? Or else it could say, God, man, I'm learning some real things about myself and about others and how life works. Thank you for this opportunity that I can make the most of. Thank you that through the hardships I can grow. Thank you for your spirit so I don't have to walk through this garbage on my own. Thank you that love, joy, peace, all these things abound in excess because of who you are, Jesus. So like I said, I think the crux of this passage is in verse 17. 
Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And I want to speak to something that I think is probably one of the biggest challenges we're facing as a church generation now, that I think if we were really to work on this, it would change a lot. I don't know if you know this, but about 500 years ago, um, this actually wasn't available in print, even though it is now, um, and it actually would be like chained. It wasn't like a, this looks like a cocktail table from like a millennial networking mixer, right? But it wasn't one of these. It'd be like some large podium stage thing that some guy would go speak on and uh, everyone would look up at him and stuff. But they would chain the Bible to it. They'd have one, it would be chained there. Um, and so no one could have it except for the person who came, and you'd have to come listen to the church ruler, and they'd do all this stuff. And, you know, there's some good things that could be said about that church era, but this is one of the things that I think was the worst, and because I think a lot of that had to do with power and control. They were like, you come here, you have to attend so that you can hear this thing. There were some people that were very dissatisfied with that, some people that were like, that's ridiculous. We should be able to have, we call it the word of God, we should be able to have God's voice accessible to all of us. That's how the book starts, Genesis 1. God begins by speaking. It's one of the first things we learn about God. He's a speaking, conversational God. And so some people fought hard. They gave their lives. They lived persecuted lives. They were beat up. There's actually this one guy. He died a natural death, but the church was so mad at him for trying to unchain this thing that they dug up his bones after he was dead, as if he cared, and then they like they incinerated his bones down to ash, and then it says when you read about it, they unceremoniously threw his ashes into the wind. And it's like, okay, how petty can you be? But they worked hard, and eventually, as a result, this became available to people. I think in my generation, what we've done is with so much access to it is that we've brought it back and we've chained it back and said, we'll just hear about it a little bit on Sundays. We've chained it back to the pulpit and we've removed it from our experience. And most of these just sit on our while people were burned to dust for trying to get this to us, we let it sit on our shelves collecting the same dust. And I don't say this in some way that's like, you know, this is some checklist item that if you read this thing, God's going to be like, you did it. But I just don't understand how we can be a generation of the church that says that we understand what the Lord's will is if we're not listening to him. You guys, one in this room, one of you, Matt, well, and his kids, so three people had met me before today. You don't know who I am. I could be a raging heretic for all you know. It's like I could come and say anything. But what's consistent, what's faithful, is the voice of God that from the beginning spoke life into the world and will speak life into us. And somehow we think we can be faithful and do some version of the Lord's will by our own thinking, our own inclinations. No, it's with great intentionality and being filled with the Spirit being filled with the voice of God that we can actually understand what God's will is and escape the foolishness and live faithful lives. If you want to experience true faithfulness in life, immerse yourself in the voice of God. There's so many voices in the world. Immerse yourself in the voice of God. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, Jesus ends with this four-part kind of thing. If he was in a modern church, it'd be like a four-week mini-series or whatever. But it ends with this four-part thing. And first it's this, and you guys probably know this, but there's this narrow path and this broad path. He says, go through the narrow gate on the narrow path. Only a few find it. But there's this broad road, and many find it leads to destruction. Well, this is, this is the R of the acts of the flesh. There are a million ways to choose this path. But there is one way to embrace the life of the Spirit and to walk in step with the Spirit, and that is 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, just showing off that I know the days of the week. Every day, walking in step and choosing faithfully. When things are hard, when things are good, when things are tough, when you're tired, when you're bored, when your kids are terrible, when your kids are awful, when you're, sorry, I've got a five-year-old, two-year-old, so I'm really camping on that one. But it's just like, in the midst of all of it, faithfully doing it, did Jesus slip up? Did he turn his eyes away? No, he walked the narrow path so we can know what it means to walk it and to listen to his voice. After that, he talks about knowing the difference between true teachers and false teachers. He says, false teachers show up all the time. False teachers bring in false messages. They're trying to lead you astray in the world and in the church are all these false messages. How can we differentiate unless we're filled with the voice of God? We can show up to a thing on Sunday morning and think we've got it all figured out, but when you're filled with the voice of God, when you're faithfully walking in step with the Spirit day in and day out and experience His Word and His life and His Spirit, then we can know it's true, and we can, we can spot the false way off in the distance, and we can be true teachers. The last one, I'll come back to the third one in a second, the last one, Jesus says, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, He ends with a therefore. Therefore, because of all of this, be like someone who builds your life on the rock rather than someone who builds your rock or your house, your life or your house on a sandy foundation. And what he says, he says, it's the person who hears my words and puts them into practice. It's the person who listens to the voice of God and puts them into practice. And then before that, he says, many people are going to come to me. Many, many people who are in churches are going to come to me at the end and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these good, noble things that the world thought we were really cool for doing? And he says, no, it's only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Again, we expect God to be faithful. We expect him to show up in the good and the bad. Are we willing to show up in the good and the bad? Are we willing to immerse ourselves in his voice? And the last thing I want to say is this. Maybe me talking about like reading scripture and hearing the voice of God, maybe that feels like a condemnation because you are part of the large majority who have not read through this thing or don't touch it or whatever. It's not a condemnation. It's a loving invitation to say, let's, let's turn the ship around. Let's be different. Let's be the faithful generation that returns and says, we don't want this thing shackled to the millennial cock table. Ta- t- table ta- millennial cock. I tried to say, yeah, I tried to say something cool and punny there and it didn't work. So anyways, we don't want this thing chained up. We want this thing expressing itself. We want God's voice leading us. We want to walk in step with the Spirit because in the ways that God is faithful to us, in all the moments of life, we can make the most of every opportunity because we're walking in step with Him. Alex had asked me to lead a time of communion. And um, it's pretty easy on a Sunday like this to think about how faithful God is. We don't herald someone for being faithful when their spouse is being really good to them, Right? The Bible starts with God creating the world, and I think it's, I view it as like a big wedding scene. God sets up the most epic wedding venue ever. He sets up this incredible garden, puts stars in the sky, the best lighting any wedding venue's ever seen, the most picturesque scene ever. He sets up this wedding, and he brings his bride in. He creates people, and there's this marriage. And right away, they leave in a divorce. There's like the greatest divorce ever. And all throughout the Old Testament, what people are described at is, not just sinners, but adulterous people. It's considered to be like an affair with the world that people are having because they're choosing things rather than God. They're being unfaithful to their loving, eternal spouse who created them and who cares for them and who loves them. And here's how we see God's faithfulness. In Romans 5, it says that while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love by dying for us. 
It wasn't like, oh, while we were doing our best, while we did all the things, while we're sitting in the service on Sunday morning, you know, that's when we got. No, he was faithful because even in the worst moments, the depravity of the Old Testament, the depravity of our lives, our worst moments in life, God is faithfully there saying, come back. I want to forgive you. Through his death on the cross, he offers forgiveness because his blood was shed, his body was broken to offer us forgiveness. And maybe that's the intention you could set 